Thank you for joining us for the Covenant Gathering here on Eurofolkradio.com. Our host is Pastor Visser from CovenantPeople'sMinistry.org. We hope that you are inspired to grow in faith and wisdom by studying the scriptures each week with us. It is written, Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, and gather the children. So let us gather together for this Bible study hour with our host, Pastor Visser, on the Eurofolk Radio Network. Hello again, dear kinsfolk, and thank you for joining me, Pastor Visser of the Covenant People's Radio Network and Church, and today is October 29th. 2016. It is 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which means that it is now 5 p.m. in London, England. And being that it is the Halloween weekend, I decided to take a look today at whether Yahshua or Jesus Christ could be considered by today's standards to be a racist and or is Christ a segregationist. And we're going to take an honest look at what the Bible has to teach about Yahshua, who he came for, his reasons for coming, and who ultimately will be found within the coming kingdom of his heavenly father, Yahweh. But before we do that, I would like to thank the men and women that have contacted me and emailed me throughout the last few weeks with their wishes that I would uh, be in better health. Now, this weekend, I'm actually feeling on the mend, and that is a good thing, because there's many things coming down the pike, at least here within America, with this upcoming election. And one thing you will not hear either candidates discuss is the importance of religion, or the importance of the Word of God, or even the importance of a specific race to be found down here on God's green earth. So to answer the question as to whether Christ was a separatist, a racial exclusive savior, we should begin by looking at many of the prophecies pertaining to his birth. And perhaps there's no greater known a prophecy than that that is found in Isaiah chapter 9. So please turn there this afternoon. Now, both the Gospels of Luke and Matthew prove that Yahshua, Jesus the Christ, fulfilled this very separate and very racially exclusive prophecy as it is found in the ninth chapter of Isaiah. In the ninth chapter of Isaiah, we read, beginning in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now before we move on, notice two times in this very famous and well-known prophecy pertaining to Jesus Christ, we are reminded unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. So let me ask you, in beginning this study, answering the question as to whether Jesus was a separatist, 
Does that sound all inclusive or does it sound as if it was written to one group of people? And who exactly is this prophet Isaiah? Well, Isaiah, as you may well know, was a prophet to Israel, the people, the race. And that is confirmed in the beginning and his authorship of his major prophecies, but also throughout. And we're going to be revisiting parts of Isaiah to really drive home the point that Yahshua came for one group of people, and it stands to reason, because the Bible itself says there is only one group of people that are quote-unquote saved. And we're going to prove that today. But continuing on, here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 continues, Of the increase of His, Yahshua's government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will perform this. So not only do we learn in this prophecy of the forthcoming Messiah, as spoken by Isaiah, that unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born, but that that same exclusive Savior to one race of people will have an increase in government. So I ask you, my friends, what government would you like to see down here on earth? Because many of us are looking to Merkel. Many of us are looking to Hillary or Trump to deliver us. And the reality is, upon Mount Zion shall be a deliverer, right? That's the prophecy. Yahshua is our deliverer. And in spite of the fact that Modern Christendom, also known as Judeo-Christianity, comes in and says Christ died for all indiscriminately. You will see from today's study that it's simply not the case. Why? Because unto us a child is born, not the entire world. And unto us a son is given. And two times here in Isaiah chapter 9, both verse 6 and 7, we learn that our God has a government. Therefore, those that follow this deliverer, those that follow Yahshua, known as Christians, will desire to see an America and a Europe under God's rule. Not man's rule, but God's rule. Because God is just. Of the increase of His government and peace to Israel, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David, and upon His kingdom, to order it and to establish it. So, we learn from Isaiah that Christ will come through what? The genealogy or the race, the Davidic bloodline. He will come through that tribe of quote-unquote Judah, being the lion of the tribe of Judah, and He comes for only one race of people. And whether we want to separate out Judah from Israel, we must always remember that Judah is merely one tribe of Israel. So Christ came for who? Well, let's take a look at the second prophecy. That's, at least in my opinion, probably one of the better known prophecies pertaining to the birth of Christ. It's found in the Minor Prophets, and I really truly love the Minor Prophets because 
The minor prophets are so messianic. There's 12 of them, just as Yahshua chose 12 disciples. And just as Yahweh chose to have 12 patriarchs, or 12 tribes of the man, meaning race, of Israel. So therefore, we find this very beautiful prophecy, as it is found in the book of the minor prophet Micah. But it's found in chapter 5. And we learn in chapter 5 of Micah, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. And I'm sure you're familiar with this particular prophecy because this is one that even Herod II called his Baal temple priest to come and ask him, where is the Messiah to be born? Where was the Messiah to be born? According to Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little, a little city among the thousands of Judah, A little tiny city named Bethlehem found within the land of Judea, which once was known as Palestine, was where our Redeemer, the quote-unquote King of Israel, was to come forth. A very important prophecy because it proves that our Redeemer, Jesus the Christ, our kinsman Victor, is not the deliverer of the entire world. But he is not the king of the Jews, but rather he is known as what, according to Micah chapter 5? The king of Israel. He is to be a ruler of Israel, and not only that, his goings forth have been of old, from everlasting. Now, we already proved today in Isaiah chapter 9, that one of the prophecies that would be fulfilled ultimately by Yahshua in the New Testament would be unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, but not the entire world. And therefore, we can read in the New Testament Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she, referencing Mary, or Maryam, brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country, the same country, right? Judah, or the land of Judea, many shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of Yahweh shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, who the shepherds fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ Yahweh, or Christ the Lord, as the authorized Bible likes to put it. That right there is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, 
when this messenger appears to the shepherds that are found within that same land, and they not only tell them not to fear, but that they have good tidings and great joy, because unto you, unto them and unto us, a child is born, but not unto the entire world. Not unto every Tom, Dick, and Harry that chooses to believe or quote-unquote open their heart to Jesus, right? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. What is that city of David? Well, we already covered it. It's also known as Bethlehem, Ephrata. It's one of the smallest towns in Palestine. And it means in Hebrew and Greek the house of Yahweh or the house of El. So that is where Yahshua descended from, a city in David. Why? Because he was the root and offspring of David. Christ was born unto Mary because Mary's bloodline was Levitical. Meaning she was from those tribes of Judah by extension. And we don't have time to go into that today. But what about this statement? Out of thee, Bethlehem, Ephratah. Is he who is to come to be ruler of Israel, the king of the Israelites, not king of the Jews, as you hear espoused so many times in, in your pulp, these, uh, what do you call them? I don't even know what to call them. They're bail pits where they come in and they have no problem whatsoever saying Jacob was a trickster and they love espousing the glory of Esau Edom who has no glory outside of being hated of God, you'll notice those types of churches never teach what I'm going to be teaching you this Saturday afternoon. And that is that Christ was a separatist and came unto his own. And his own received him not. He didn't come unto the entire world. And in order for us as the sons and daughters of Yahweh God to go forward, To truly be the movement that Yahweh God wants us to be, we better understand whom Christ came for. Because He didn't come for everyone. So turn with me now to continue. In the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2. And we read right in verse 1. Now, when Yahshua was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is to be born king of the Jews, or king of the land of Judea? Let's differentiate this really quick so you understand. Pilate one time even asked Christ, Am I a Jew? Because he was a governor in the land of Judea. Meaning that the term Jew became known through history as a slang term for practically every resident within this land, the land of Judea. And Bethlehem was found where? In Judea. I really want to spend some time here because in modern Christendom, they have no problem coming in saying Mary is a Jew, Joseph is a Jew, Yahshua Messiah himself. They're Jews and they don't even understand what the word Jew encompasses and what it truly means. So these wise men come to Herod the second, right? And they say, where is he that is born king of the land of Judea? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Why would Herod be troubled? 
because Herod and Pilate both had control and positions of authority in the land of Judea. Therefore, if there is a king of Israel or a king of the Judeans coming forth, that lion of the tribe of Judah, he was instantly perceived as a threat by the governments of men. Very important to understand. While we look to men to deliver us, those same men we're looking forward to are seeking to obliterate Yahweh in flesh form. And Herod was no different. He was troubled, right? According to Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. Then we learn in verse 4. And when he, Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and the scribe of, of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. That is the prophecy, and the prophecy that we just covered in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It's so important that when Herod felt that he his position was being threatened, when the wise men come from the east and say, where is he that is to be ruler of the Judeans? Or your people, God's people, Israel. He gathers together all the chief priests. All the what? The scribes. These are what's known as Baal priests, my friend. Notice Herod, even though he was a denier of Yahshua, was not above having temple priests within his politics. And so it stands that way today. Many presidents, if they are to even have a preacher, it will be a false prophet like Billy Graham who will come in and say, Jesus Christ is the King of the Jews. Well, that's what Herod said. But we proved just last week that he was guileless, that he was perfect, that he was an acceptable sacrifice, meaning that Christ was innocent of any charge, including the charge that Pilate put, that superscription over the cross, saying, here is the king of the Jews. I'm spending time here because many of us are on the milk of the word. And I'm sure many that I'm preaching to today know the difference between a Jew, a kike, and a Judean. They're very, very different things. When we read in the Bible terms like Jew, Judean, etc., they are slang terms for anyone who lives within the land of Judea. And we prove that today, right, in verse 6, right here in the Gospel according to Matthew, that the Redeemer, the King of Israel, not the entire world, and He who is to be governor and rule my people, my race, Israel, was to be born in Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And he's not the least of the princes of Judah. So we have proven, before we move on here, to statements <laughs> that Christ himself made. Is Christ a separatist? Well, it seems to me that so far today, from Isaiah, Micah, and the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament were racially exclusive. That one race of people known as the Israelites are to have a king over them. And it does not say anywhere from Genesis to Revelation that all you need to do, to do is believe in your heart 
and open your heart to God. To say the sinner's prayer, right? (laughs) Well, consider this quote as it is found in Psalm 14. The 14th Psalm, verse 7. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When Yahweh brings back the captivity of His people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Now, that's a prophecy given by David, the very great-great-grandfather of Yahshua himself. Christ would come through that Davidic, also known as Judean bloodline, and we learn Uh, That the salvation of Israel, the race, the people, not the landmass in the Middle East that was once known as as, uh, Palestine, that the salvation of the Israelite people would come out of Zion. When Yahweh brings back the captivity of His people, Jacob, a polite way of saying Israel, the man, will rejoice. And all Israel shall be glad. So what are we learning right there? That all Israel is saved. And only Israelites are saved. Now, that's not to discount the Gentiles. And in fact, the Gentiles is an entirely different study for another day. But in short, I can tell you this. The Gentiles are the offspring of the Adamites. The first created in Genesis chapter 1. But not the specific Ahadam, Adam number 120 or 119, as it is found in the second chapter of Genesis. That Adam was put aside. Because why? Well, David, the patriarchs, Rahab, even Jesus Christ would come through that Davidic bloodline. So we're not going to look actually into the Gentiles today. But we will prove that Christ was a separatist and came to one group of people And only that one group of people can be saved. So the next place we should look on this theme is in the Old Testament book of Isaiah once more. However, this time, the 59th chapter. And we learn, beginning in verse 20. The Redeemer, stopping right there. That's a polite way of saying Deliverer. The same Deliverer that comes out of Zion, who is Yahshua, our Messiah. The Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith Yahweh. Not in the entire world, not in Asia, not in China, not in Africa, but in who? Jacob or Israel the man. The Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that turn from transgression, meaning that they sin no more, in Israel, the people, saith Yahweh. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith Yahweh. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed. Meaning race or offspring. And I don't know for the life of me how any honest preacher can teach the Bible verbatim as it is seen and overlook these themes like seed, race, Israel. It's so replete within it. Right? The Redeemer shall come to Zion and those that are sinless or guileless amongst the Israelite people, well, that is whom Yahshua comes for. My spirit is upon thee 
and it shall not depart out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith Yahweh from henceforth and forever. Now, dear friends, I'm what's known as a dual seed line Christian identity pastor because I have no problems teaching you that there are children of the devil and there are children of the covenant. And this book from Genesis to Revelation was written for one race of people and we just confirmed that. The truth shall not depart from the mouth of our seed or Jacob's seed and Jacob's seed seed, meaning every generation that descends from Jacob, Israel, the man. And I say praise Yahweh for venues like Eurofolk Radio where the great descendants of Israel the man, and many of us even have the blood of Yahshua himself running through our bloodline, are not afraid to speak the truth, are not afraid to come in and say, right, Christ was a segregationist. He was a racial separatist. He didn't come for everyone. And we're about to prove that right now, my friends. So we're going to take a look at a few statements as they are found in the mouth of our own Redeemer, and all which are found within the New Testament. Now that we've laid the groundwork, that a majority of the prophecies of the coming Jesus Christ is to save His people from their sins. Right? We learn in the Gospels, He came unto His own only, and His own received Him not. So the first place to look would be in the Gospel according to Matthew. In Matthew, the 15th chapter. This is the red letters of Yahshua Himself. And this is what He had to say. Actually, we should begin this to understand truly what's being said in verse 21. Here in St. Matthew chapter 15, where we learn, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Zidon, Right? So he's out of the land of Judea. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. So let me set the stage. This is a point where Christ was not in the land of Judea. And the the, uh, text actually bears that out. He was in the coasts of Tyre and Zidon. Those are considered Gentile nations, my friend. And other Gospels attribute this woman of Canaan. Some say she was a Syrophoenician. Some say she was a Greek. And my purpose this Saturday afternoon is to not look into exactly who he was but or she was. But we can prove that she was not an Israelite, right? Her response is this, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Thou son of David. Meaning she was not of the Davidic bloodline. She also says to Christ, My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Verse 23. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, because she's crying after us. So this woman that the text here in the Gospel according to Matthew says is a Canaanite, came to Yahshua and said, my daughter is vexed with the devil. Right? And Christ didn't answer the first time. Verse 23, But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and said, send her away. 
What does Christ say? Verse 24. But he answered, who? Not the woman. The disciples. When they said, come, send her away. He answered his disciples and said, pay close attention. I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That is Christ. And we can't argue with his statement, can we? And right there in that one statement where Jesus himself says, I'm not sent to everyone who believes, but I'm sent only unto the lost sheep of the house, meaning race of Israel, a polite way of saying Jacob, just as Micah and Isaiah confirm. We can't come in and say, well, he came for anyone who believes, can we? But yet that's exactly what false prophets do. They have no problem coming in and saying, all you got to do is believe. Christ didn't teach that. His answer is, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right? What happens? Well, let's continue reading. Here in the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 15, but verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, pay close attention, because this... If we observed what Christ says right here, we could avoid a lot of global woes, my friend. He answered and said, It is not meat, meaning it is not proper, to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. So did Yahshua consider this woman, this Canaanite, this woman of the land of Canaan, her equal, his equal? Not at all. In fact, His teaching, his answer, first, was to ignore. Second, to respond only to his disciples and say, I am only come for the race of Israel. Why? Well, Isaiah prophesied it. Micah prophesied it. And then finally, when she comes, he teaches this valuable, valuable key. And that is this. It's not meat. It's not proper to take what belongs to the children and cast it to dogs, non-covenant people. Christ's response to this woman is, you're not a covenant person, and I'm not going to take the bread from the children of Israel's mouth and give it to the gen even, the Gentiles, or the non-covenant people, before the house of Israel. That is the teaching of Yahshua. So I ask you, my friends in Europe, and America, and around the world, Why is it that we here in America seemingly are involved in every world war? Why is it that we, being so small, the remnant within the remnant of the race of Israel seemingly have to bail out every other country when they're fighting wars that benefit the Jew in light of the fact that our own Redeemer taught that it's not proper to take food from our own race and turn around and give it to the dogs? So when men and women come in and tell you, well, Christ wasn't a separatist, he wasn't a segregationist, what is this statement right here? That it's not proper to take the non-covenant, or uh, to take the covenant children's bread, whether it be money or food or substance, meaning increase, and give it to the non-covenant people. Well, something to consider. Christ called this woman to uh, what? A dog. And that's something you will never hear taught within the land. Because dog in Greek is, or Aramaic is a polite way of saying a non-covenant person. In fact, this is what uh, 
Goliath, the Philistine, said to David. He turned around, saw David, and disdained him because he was right, ruddy, and of a fair countenance. And what does he respond, the Philistine? He says, am I a dog? Indeed he was. And so was this woman of Canaan. Now, the next place we need to look is here within the same gospel, according to Matthew, but the 10th chapter. Because out there in modern Christendom, many of us consider ourselves faithful, right? We say, we believe in Yahshua. And many of them even go door to door, knocking, trying to sell Jesus Christ, which is forbidden within the Bible. But who did Christ say to his disciples, meaning you and I, who are disciplined within the ways of Christ, who did he say we are to go after? Anyone who believes? Well, let's see the answer to that. In the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning in verse 5 of chapter 10, we learn, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. Interesting, is it not? This is technically the Great Commission. Christ is sending out His disciples giving them power over serpents and scorpions. And he says, you know what? Don't go the way of the Gentiles. Don't go into any city of the Samaritans. Does it make sense as to why John, even the apostle within his youth, would come to Yahshua and say, I will rain fire on the city of the Samaritans? Well, he said that because it was taught by Yahshua and it's taught right here. Christ doesn't say go door to door. Christ doesn't say go to any race who believes. Christ says go not the way of the Gentiles and go not the way of the Samaritans. Verse 6. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, second witness today in the New Testament that not only did Christ come and was sent only to the lost sheep of the house, meaning race of Israel, but that he instructed his latter disciples to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So not only was Christ a separatist, but his disciples were taught separatist doctrine. Not to go into the way of the Samaritans, and not to go the way of the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting that all of these quotes that I'm substantiating today are found within any modern translation of the Bible. Take your pick. But yet you will not hear a preacher preach on these because they know that it is unprofitable. So Christ said He was sent only to the Israelite people and instructed His disciples to go only unto the people of Israel. And not only that, Yahshua proved that by saying it's not proper to take the children's bread and cast it unto dogs, right? That was Matthew chapter 15. So, what did Christ have to say about other disciples? This is a fair question, wouldn't you think? Because after all, in modern Christendom, also known as Kikery and Zionism, they come in and they tell you, well, God is not a respecter of persons. They pervert that one verse as if it means that Christ didn't come only for one group of people, as if Isaiah was lying when he said, unto us a child is born, unto us a child is given, and that child would be born 
even down to a very specific county within the land of Judea. They come in and say, God's not a respecter of persons. And then the false prophet has no problem coming in and saying, hey, but the Jews are the apple of God's eye, right? Even though that's not found within the Bible anywhere. So, let's take a look at Nathan, the calling of the, uh, his disciple. I'm sure you know the story. So, I'm going to go pretty quick here. In fact, let's take a look at the Gospel according to John, the first chapter. But verse 46. Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip, responding to Nathan, said, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathan coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. What is guile? Well, in Aramaic, it basically means deceit. But this one statement right here, Philip goes and brings Nathan. Nathan's found under a fig tree. Nathan's opinion is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because, after all, Nazareth wasn't really known for prophets, priests, and scribes like the city of Jerusalem was. And Jesus saw Nathan coming. And his response is, behold, an Israelite. That's racial. In whom there is no guile. Now I want to interject right here. This is the only other person in all of canon who is considered guileless. Nathan. And it is said here in the mouth of our Redeemer. Christ was perfect and guileless and without blame. And without blemish. But so he says this Israelite. Not the Canaanite woman or the woman of Samaria. Who he considered to be a dog. But this Israelite had no guile. Nathan saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now, what's the significance of the fig tree? The fig tree represents the Judean people. And we don't have time to to, uh, look into it today, but if you remember my study about two weeks ago here on Eurofolk Radio titled All the Trees... We looked at the budding fig tree. We looked at the barren fig tree. And some of the reasons as to why Christ had to wither the fig tree and also overturn the tables of the money changers within the temple of Jerusalem. Nathaniel had no guile. Christ had no guile. And because he had no guile, he had no problem denouncing a religious order and an imposter group of Edomite tares going by the title of Judean but Revelation chapter 2, 9 and 3, 9 says they were not. They were of the synagogue of Satan. And the entire book of Obadiah and the minor prophets, the entire book of Malachi are against Esau, Edom. Interesting, isn't it? Consider that for a moment. There's 12 minor prophets. And everything that's outlined within the book of Obadiah well, half of it anyway, 12 of the 21 verses, are quoted from Jeremiah, Isaiah, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Obadiah's job was to accumulate all of these passages against Esau. All of these passages saying that Yahweh hated Esau. Why is it? If there are two books alone within the Minor Prophets, 
saying that a certain group of people are not born of Yahweh God, why is it your modern preacher will avoid that like the plague? When it's such an integral part of the Bible. After all, there's only two books, right? Malachi and Obadiah, all against Esau, Edom. So in order to really drive this home, let's take a look at John chapter 8. There are so many keys here given in John chapter 8. And what we need to confirm first is that this exchange, as it is found in the 8th chapter of John's Gospel, is between Yahshua, our Redeemer, who came only for the Israelites, and the Jews. The Jews that were also known here in the Gospel of John to be Pharisees. And Malachi confirmed before even the Gospel, 600 years before the fact, that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. And that Edomites were within the temple and they were oppressing the workmen in his wages. They were oppressing the widow, right? So, Christ says, pay close attention. Beginning in verse 34 of John chapter 8. Jesus answered them, who the Jews, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Some manuscripts render that slave. And frankly, I feel that's a better rendering. Yeshua said you can serve God or mammon, but either way you'll be a servant to something. And while the atheist hoodwinks himself into believing, you know what, I'm not a slave to no man. In fact, the Jews said that. And one verse above it. They answered him, say, we be Abraham's seed and we're never in bondage to any man. Well, then they're not Israelites, right? Because the Israelites were in bondage in Assyria. In Babylon, in Egypt, in Canaan, and at this time in the land of Judea, under Herod and under Pilate. And what does he say? He says, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son therefore makes you free, ye shall be free indeed. Now pay close attention to his response. He says, I know that ye are Abraham's seed. Stopping right there. Now, your detractor could come and say, well, Christ just confirmed they're Abraham's seed, right? But what did we prove about Esau, Edom? Who did Esau marry? Hittite women, Ammonite women, Canaanite women in short. The point is, is even Esau, the father of modern Jewry, married into Abraham's seed. Married in and at the end of the day, they were twin brothers. So don't overlook that fact. Tares look like wheat. They look just like you and I. But we have different fathers. Because Christ was what? A separatist. And came for one group of people. He says, I know you're Abraham's seed. But you seek to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father. And ye do that which ye have seen of your father. Big difference. Christ confirms that there are two different fathers. And His Father is our Father, right? We being Israelites have one Father, one baptism, one faith, one word at the end of the day. But Christ says, I speak that which I have seen of my Father, and ye do that which ye have seen of your Father. So Christ straightforwardly said, what? You could be part of Abraham's seed, but he's about to denounce that. 
but he said there's two separate fathers. We have one, they have another. Verse 39, here in John 8, They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Stop right there. How do you know an Israelite? One of Abraham's grandchildren. Because after all, Jacob was Isaac's son and Isaac was Abraham's son. And at the end of the day, the prophecy that was given to Abraham that in his seed it should be so numerous that it could barely be counted and all the nations of the earth would be blessed, well, that was ultimately fulfilled in Jacob, the man. Christ says this in John 8.40, But now ye seek to kill me, a man which told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. And let me interject here. Abraham, when he saw Melchizedek, he dropped. And he worshipped. And he gave a tithe. Because Abraham obeyed Yahweh God. That's the difference. But what else does Christ say? He says, ye do the deeds of your father. Verse 41, here in John 8. You Jews do the deeds of your father. Lowercase. Different father than Yahweh. And also, how did the Jews respond? Well, verse 41 provides that key. Then the Jews said unto Christ, We be not born of fornication, we have one Father, God. So notice, they already know what Yahshua was saying. Yahshua said, you're born of your Father, you do what your lowercase Father does. And the first response of our enemy is, what? We're not born of fornication. Interesting, is it not? Because the Talmud today teaches that Christ was born of fornication. And Judaism, them as a whole, espouses that Mary got knocked up by a Roman centurion. That Christ is a bastard, born of adultery. And that he's boiling in semen and fecal material within hell. This is all from the Talmud, my friend. Modern Jews know that they're born of fornication, therefore they have no problem responding and saying what? We're not born of fornication, you are. Therefore, the same pharisaical Jews much later in Christ's own ministry say, is this not the carpenter's son? As if to allude that he was not the son of God, but that he was the son of Joseph the Judean. Big difference. We cannot say Christ is a Judean even from the tribe of Judah by race because Joseph's genealogy has nothing whatsoever to do with Christ. Miriam's does. And she was a what? Cousin to Elizabeth who was among the daughters of Aaron. The priestly tribe, my friend. That is why Yahshua came to be ruler in all Israel. Now, time is getting away from me, my friends. So, I want to look at two specific points here. And one is this. Everything I said doesn't really matter at the end of the day to an unbelieving person who doesn't believe in the Bible. But for us who believe in the Bible, we better hearken unto these prophecies. Because only Israel is saved. And if you really want to split hairs, there's a remnant within the remnant that are saved. Right? Christ tells the goats, depart from me. But to the sheep, he says, enter in my faithful servant. Those are they, just like the prophecies that we read this afternoon in Isaiah chapter 9 and Micah 5. Eschew evil and turn from evil. So, 
in the final chapter of the book of the major prophet Ezekiel, we're going to learn about the gates that are found within the coming kingdom of Yahweh God. And these gates are very important because you would think that if anyone who believed could be saved, well, then Revelation or Ezekiel would say that, but they don't. So, this is the commandment as it is found in Ezekiel chapter 48, beginning in verse 30. These are the goings out of the city on the north side, 4,500 measures. And the gates of the city, what city? The new Jerusalem. The gates of the city shall be named after the tribes of Israel. Three gates northward, one gate of Reuben, one great gate of Judah, and one gate of Levi. That's your first set. And, of course, Christ, by race, we could say, was Levitical. Followed, secondly, by Judean through his stepfather, even though there's no genealogy listed there. And then, ultimately, his own father, Yahweh God. Verse 32. And at the east side, 4,500 in three gates. And one gate of Joseph, one gate of Benjamin, one gate of Dan. And at the south side, 4,500 measures. Also three gates. One gate of Simeon, one gate of Ishtar, and one gate of Zebulon. Verse 34. And at the west side, 4,500. With their three gates. One gate of Gad, one gate of Asher, and one gate of Naphtali. What is that? The twelve gates on the new Jerusalem, which is considered the dwelling place or abode of Yahweh God. And each gate has a name of the original twelve tribes of Israel. Very important to understand. Why? It was round about 18,000 measures. And the name of that city on that day, meaning in the day of the Lord, shall be what? The Lord is there. The Lord is there. That is what the New Jerusalem is supposed to encompass. So we prove from the Old Testament that within the kingdom, <laughs> what what uh, what do we learn? Well, each gate is named after a patriarch of the Israelite tribes, right? So how about these that are sealed in the book of Revelation? Because after all, when that fifth angel descends with the key of the bottomless pit, right? He opens up that uh, abode and smoke comes out. Locusts come out of the smoke. That's the king, Abaddon, Apollyon, right? Well, they were commanded, the locusts, in short, what I'm getting to is this. The locusts were commanded that they could torment the Israelites and that they owned everyone who took the mark of the beast, but they could not kill those that have the seal of God. So who is sealed? Very interesting statement. Revelation chapter 7 provides that key. In fact, beginning in verse 3. Heard not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed in 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Not everyone who believes. Not everyone in Africa but only of the tribes, meaning the race of Israel. Verse 5, here in Revelation chapter 7, of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, you guessed it, 
12,000. The tribe of Asher, 12,000. And continuing on, Simeon, Levi, you know this account. Verse 8, of the tribe of Zebulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. And after this beheld I and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all the nations, kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne of the Lamb. But who's sealed? Whose names are on each one of those gates? Therefore, who is saved? It stands the reason it would be the same exact people that Christ came for. Christ came for one group of people. We proved that today as well. And so, I want you to consider as we wind this down, Romans chapter 11. This is very important because this is also found in the Old Testament. And we confirmed that today, did we not? From the Psalms, the 14th Psalm, and also Isaiah chapter 59. This is the words of Paul, the second generation Christian. If he was to believe that anyone could be saved, he would know, don't you think? After all, he was considered an ambassador to the Gentiles. So naturally, he'd come in and say, all you got to do is believe and uh, put a little dust on your nose and repeat after the pedophile priest. But he doesn't. He says in his general epistle to the Romans, chapter 11, we learn, beginning in verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So Paul is saying Gentiles can be saved. But as Christ walked, he said he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And indeed that is true. Because until that blood was shed on Calvary, the covenant wasn't opened up unto the Gentiles. And Paul, being an ambassador unto the Gentiles, says what? That blindness in part, not the remnant, but the majority, has happened unto the Israelite men, women, and children. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in verse 26 here in Romans chapter 11. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, I know you know that verse because we've already covered it today. It's the 14th Psalm, verse 7. It's Isaiah chapter 59, verses 21 and 21, or 20 and 21. And Paul even continues here in Romans chapter 11, verse 27. For this is my covenant unto them. I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as to touching the election, they are beloved For the Father's sake. The election, my friend. The elect are they of the race of Israel. They are they who are sealed of the tribes of Israel. They are they who will enter in through their own gate to the very tribe in which they are in. And many men and women here on Eurofolk Radio have done even better shows than I could dream of. Tracing the migrations of our people, the Israelites. But what we need to understand is that Christ truly was a separatist. His statement, I am come only to the Israelites, is as racially separatist and segregationist as one could get. 
Now, of course, they didn't have a term like racist or separatist or segregationist up until about a hundred years ago. But this was commonplace. And most assuredly here within the South where many churches still are. They're not openly separatist, but they do exist here in the dirty South where you can go to a church and it's all white people and the darkies have their own church down the road where they engage in their Haitian voodoo and their Jehovah's Witness garbage where they knock door to door and try to sell you Christ. And the biggest irony is Christ is known as the kinsman victor, the kinsman redeemer. He came to save his people because unto them, you and I, my friends, a child is born and a child is given. And so, until next Saturday, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or 5 p.m. in London, England, this is Pastor Visser from Covenant People's Ministry wishing you and your entire family great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this Bible study lesson with Pastor Visser of the Covenant People's Ministry. These teachings are recorded for you live by the Eurofolk Radio Broadcasting Network and can also be found in the archives of our church's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org. If you have any questions or comments regarding these messages, please write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, USA. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Covenant Gathering. May God bless you and keep you and be with you always.